Hazel Edwards is best known for her children's book, There's a Hippopotamus on Our Roof Eating Cake, which is approaching its 30th anniversary. I can't believe that. She's written 180 books for children and adults. And she's also been the Australian Antarctic Division writer, which is a fair distance in terms of concept, I feel, between those. And Hazel's with us on Afternoons. Now, hi, Hazel. Very pleased to speak to you, Gillian. Lovely to speak to you too, and I am completely fascinated. So can I ask you first what the Australian Antarctic Division writer is and how you got to become it? Well, um, each year they have one birth for uh, someone who's a non-scientist. Uh, occasionally they're a photographer or a writer. Uh, I think they've even had a philosopher down there at one stage. Um, I went in 2001, but since then there have been quite a number of other, um, some children's authors too. Uh, Alison Lester has been down there. And um, the brief is that you need to write about Antarctica internationally from the point of view of a non-scientist. So I would say it's probably one of the most extreme areas of my what I call participant observation research, <laughs> yes. which, where you go and do interesting things in order to write effectively about it afterwards. Uh, and the picture book Antarctic Dad came out of that and, and, and a number of um, a young adult novel, Antarctic Frozen Chosen and so on. But it personally, I found that a really interesting experience. And there's a, a, a fascination, a mystique about the Antarctic that continues, I think, and it's a great privilege to have the opportunity to uh, to go there. But uh, you have to pass the medical, and I was a bit old and not super, super fit, but I did just make it. Oh, it's, I just think it would be absolutely astonishing. So tell us, uh, were you, uh, you were on a ship? Um, I left from Hobart with the Australian Antarctic Division. It was an expedition. I was on a, a round trip. You can either go for the winter, for the summer... Uh, this is the hierarchy. <laughs> the winter is of the uh, of the most admirable types, or a round trip, uh, which is uh, a resupply trip with food and uh, fuel to reprovision the stations. And uh, we were going to Casey Station, but it was a year when there was a lot of ice, so um, we became beset in the ice. So that w- which, in ordinary words, means stuck, <laughs> um, which is why beset sounds ride. very author-like, beset, though. <laughs> is a lovely word. In fact, the Antarctic has a complete vocabulary of its own. It's a fabulous dictionary, Antarctic dictionary that I read before I went down. I wouldn't normally read a dictionary, but that one is fantastic. And uh, it it introduces you to the entire vocabulary of the Antarctic. So that's what happens. I think one of the privileges of being a writer is that you immerse yourself in in a subject for two or three years or however long it is and write a number of things and you have the privilege of meeting some of the best minds around in that area and then you move on to another topic. So um, I think I'm immensely privileged and in between um, I read I, I write other sorts of stories. <laughs> yes, I mean you've you've written on on such a massively broad range and I'll ask you about uh, your your children's book first uh, next but I just 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 that um, I've always wanted to go to the Antarctic and I'm just thinking you know stuck in the ice and just how did it look is it just the most overwhelming immense oh, it is I, I actually fell in love with the icebergs I must admit that my reason for going was possibly a little different from others um 
I was real. I've always been interested in people's motives, why they do things, and I wanted to work out why people would go for fourteen months to an isolated area, and how they would get along together. That's what really interested me, um, because I'd done a book with Dr. Helen McGrath before on difficult personalities, and I was very interested. Uh, in fact, they use that book there, but um, on how people would get. On in in an isolated area, and so that was my original reason. But what happened was I got seduced by the icebergs. They're beautiful, they're aren't they? The most stunningly beautiful things, and none of the photographs do them credit. And for me, an iceberg's a bit like the symbol of writing a book. Nine tenths is underneath the surface, and other people never see that. They only see the bit that shows on the top. And with a creative work, you do a lot of stuff. And people only see the finished book or the finished film or whatever it is, uh, and they don't realise all the nine-tenths beneath. And I think that's the other reason the icebergs really appeal to me as a symbol of Antarctica. Oh, I just think they're absolutely glorious and terrifying as well when you look at those pictures of them, you know, great and more... It brings uh, to mind your own total insignificance <laughs> and the only thing that enables you to comprehend more is your imagination and I think that's why um, the Australian Antarctic Division should be commended for taking imaginative people down because they've got a lot of fabulous problem solvers who go down there. I'm very impressed with the problem solving skills of their scientists and tradies but the... Um, I think that having the birth for someone who will illustrate that world in a different way. Um, I've had a lot of people talking about the Antarctic Dad book that I never expected. I'd written it for those parents who were away in the Antarctic and keeping up a link with the child away from home. But since then, I've had uh, fan mail from children whose parents are perhaps in the military or on uh, in mining camps or in offshore oil rigs, and the situation is the same. And so... Um, I think that's another aspect of being an author that sometimes your books travel into lives and places and across cultures that you never expected. And that would certainly give you a great scope for a new world. Not that you're short on imagination and... and I mean, <laughs> just the, there's a hippopotamus on our roof eating cake is, is one of the most iconic books for young children and I was... Quite horrified to realise it was 30 years old. That makes me feel totally ancient. Oh, yes. I used to read it to my daughter. Well, somebody called me an icon the other day and that was a bit worrying. Yes, goodness <laughs> me. But it, it really is a fact that the book, or a picture book in particular, uh, my view is that it actually belongs to the reader's imagination, that the writer provides the clues and the illustrator provides the um, graphic suggestions but that ultimately the reader has to put those together. And so in a sense, it becomes the child's book. And that's why I think it's really important that parents and um, uncles and all, all the stray butte blokes around do funny voices and read kids' stories to them because uh, those children are the ones who often end up as the better problem solvers later on because they've read fantasy, which revolves around, you know, what if. Um, but they've also had to pay attention for a little while. And I I really do notice I can pick the kids who've been read to regularly because the attention span's a bit longer. 
And so when I test my stories and give them the yawn test, I try it with children who have very short attention spans. And if I can write the story that keeps them, um, I consider that a great achievement. And you've really got to uh, to put your all into it when you're reading to a, to a child. I've, I've um, trained people in news reading and if they have difficulty reading aloud, I tell them to go, go and find a child and read them a storybook because you, mm. if you're not you know, into it, then it just, your, your audience loses interest very quickly. Oh, I'd, I'd completely agree with you. And I think the other thing too is parents need, or whoever's reading a book needs to do a quick preview and read it um, and see if they like it themselves. If they don't like it, just put it aside. It's useless reading it if you don't like it. <laughs> and how did these um, so- characters evolve in your in your mind? And I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but they are, even for children books, quite sort of curly curly imagery involved in it. And you've got a, a, a platypus plumber and the cake-eating hippo, of course, which I think a lot of our listeners would be very familiar with. Where do those characters evolve in your mind? Well, I suppose creativity is just when you put two things together that haven't been in that combination before. And a platypus plumber, um, part-time, he's only part-time, he's got a toolkit and uh, in the toolkit are... Uh, things that you would normally have in as a tradie plumber fixing pipes and so on but he's also got kit for fixing grumpy people so he's got feathers and joke books and all sorts of things you need to keep people happy Um, so I don't have any problem in putting those together it's a bit like writing adult satire I suppose but the story does have to have a logic and people say to me well is the hippo male or female does the hippo speak and we've recently had to think about this because um, Pocket Bonfire are making a film on the hippopotamus on the roof eating cake they're young filmmakers and they're part of the generation that read it when they were children themselves they're in their early 20s and they said does, does the hippo speak and I said well in the book, no. But sometimes you have to make adjustments according to the medium in which you're working. Um, so I'm not sure at the moment. <laughs> it's a bit like the cake on the front of the new one. The new title is Hooray, There's a Hippopotamus on Our Roof Having a Birthday Party. And I have to warn you, I had to read that title. I have trouble with my titles <laughs> because I could never remember whether they're my, our, your, the, and getting them right. And on that new one about the birthday party, there are no candles on the cake. And the reason for that, although it's a very festive birthday cake, is that generally you have the number of candles of the age you are and I want it to be the age of any reader of that book. Uh, and so that's why it doesn't have a number candle on the cake. Well, I think it's, um, I, I think historically it, it, uh, a lot of us have been able to relate to it. And I think if you'd tried to fit the candles of my age on it, you probably would have burnt well, the house down. <laughs> I did. I did find a question mark candle and I did suggest to uh, Deborah Nyland, the illustrator, that maybe we could put a question mark candle on because they do actually make them. And I know a number of people who've been very happy to have question mark candles on their cakes, um, but birthday cakes. But uh, Deborah preferred to make it... Uh, a, a very festive cake without the the, the candles. So um, we, you know, we we talk over some of these things. I write some suggestions, but ultimately I leave uh, on a collaborative project like this. I leave the visuals to her because I think in concepts. 
Hazel, we have to leave it there, and I'm so sorry we've run out of time because there's a million things I'd love to talk to you about. That thank you very much for talking to Afternoons today. And Hazel is talking at the All Saints College in Bull Creek, the Lit Fest there for 2010, which runs from the 17th to the 19th of March.